coming down in eins, zwei, drei. Sofa! Ziggy, 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 ziggy. Oi, oi, oi. All right, let's get serious, shall we? Yeah. Nobody has a handle on the league like these two hockey heads. Mike Farwell, Chris Pope, your number one authorities on the OHL. This is the Farwell and Pope podcast. I want to just look into my crystal ball for you right here. Okay. And introduce to you the on the run OHL player of the week, Arthur Kaliev of your Hamilton Bulldogs. You're welcome. Wow. I don't think you're wrong. What did you say? Six goals in two games? Eight points in two games. Kaliev himself beat the Erie Otters four to one because oh, he scored four. And then good. the next night, or the next game, pardon me, in Hamilton, 7 5 win over Barry. He scores two more, adds two assists. Eight points, two games. It's a no doubter. There you go, league offices. You can have that one. It's on Farwell and Pope. You see, when you listen to the Farwell and Pope podcast, he's Farwell at Farwell underscore OHL and at underscore Chris Pope. You learn things before they happen. And we always have a little note for the league. So there you go, OHL. You're welcome. They'll send a tweet about it for sure. Of course they will, because that's what they do. They communicate with their fan base, with the media. They do it really well. If you want to communicate with us, Poper just gave you the Twitter, but you can also email us anytime you want. Farwellandpope at gmail.com. Staying in the Eastern Conference, so Kaliev, about to be the OHL Player of the Week. Yvonne Lodnia returned to the Niagara Ice Dogs from the Minnesota Wild. That's a boost for the Ice Dogs, who also have Akeel Thomas sitting down there in St. Catharines saying, hey, when's it my turn to get... No, they're not saying it like that, but expected to be moved to reacquire some assets after their run last year. I would think so, and we'll get to another team that's reacquiring those assets in just a little bit. Um, But I like that for Niagara. That's going to help them quite a bit when they move... Yvonne Lodney, if they choose to. Keep in mind, he's an overager. That's a good point. So not a lot of teams have that overage spot. On Sound does, though. Um, He's a point-of-game player last year for Niagara, third-rounder to Minnesota. I think he's a huge pickup for any team that does want to make a move for an overage forward. Are you saying, Owen Sound, just because you're trying to reinforce your own don't sleep on the sound. Statement Gosh, I'm smart, aren't from I? Early, right? You're trying to. It's a self fulfilling. <laughs> Popper is trying to make his own self fulfilling. Pro- that's not how it works. Oh, it's not. No, nobody. Just because you keep saying it doesn't mean we start believing you. Why? Aiden Dudas needs someone to play with, and I think that's a perfect fit. I think that the own sound attack are going to surprise a lot of people this year. Will they win the Western Conference? Probably not. But I think that far too many people are sleeping on the own sound attack. Matt Guzda, the reigning. OHL on the run player of the week uh, is serving the the role and goal that many people didn't think he could do. He's he's been fine for them. Um, I'm sure they'd like better at times, but he's been fine. Yeah, he's that been makes him feel really good. Well, that's all you need to be. No, you're right. You're right. Just be fine. They've they've great defense. They have some forwards that a lot of people overlook. This was if they can put it together every night, and that seems to be the thing that you know a lot of teams struggle with. Um, putting it together every night. But I think that's a that's a pretty good on-sound attack team. All right. You, you mentioned that just a little bit later on in this podcast. And by the way, we have a Hall of Famer joining oh, us right. as our guest. But besides that part, yeah, like, like a hockey Hall of Famer. Two-time Stanley Cup champion, Olympic gold medalist, Memorial Cup champion, Conn Smythe winner, Jeepers. one of the top 100 players to ever do it, joins our podcast this week. You'll want to stick around for that. Also... As Popper mentioned, we'll talk about, in the context of Niagara and reacquiring assets, a team in the West that 
is beginning that process this year after making a big run last year. And we talked last week on the podcast about a trade the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds made. I liked it more than Popper did. Thought the price might have been a little bit high for the Sarnia Sting. Likes it from from Sue's perspective. I liked it from both teams. I just thought the price was high. That's all. But there's another trade we can dissect in just a moment. Before we get to that, though, and speaking of sleeping on teams, I touched on this last week. I thought everybody was sleeping on the Oshawa Generals or they were just playing the sleepy teams to get off to a 7-0 start, which is now a 9-0 start. Consider that the crow being eaten. I'm still not buying a whole lot of stock in Oshawa. It's a 68-game season, but credit where it's due and they beat they they came from behind to beat the Sudbury Wolves to get their ninth when they were down three nothing after two full marks for that full marks for the night and I'll start but what I want to know from you Popper is what is the bigger surprise nine and O Oshawa Generals or O and seven Sarnia Sting as we record this podcast I would uh put a write-in vote for the Owen Sound attack leading the Western <laughs> Conference self-fulfilling prophecy but you're welcome um I think the biggest surprise is the winless Sarnia sting. Like we knew it was going to be rough in Sarnia. I didn't think it would be this rough. Oshawa, I get it. You, we talked about it on last week's podcast. The teams they were beating, they have beat some good teams. I think that um, when you string together seven, whether it be seven or nine, if you win nine of nine or seven of seven at any point in the season, that's good. <laughs> you, you, they don't take those away from you. Those are points that you're going to look back at later in the year and say. Thank goodness we have those. Uh, the Sarnia Stinger proving that when we talked about teams that would struggle like Kingston and North Bay, I think many people overlooked how rough it's going to be in Sarnia. Yeah, it's uh, it's real rough there right now. And I don't know, Ryan Roth acquired last week is all that the Stinger going to need to turn this ship around. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough go. And you feel bad for teams that go this long in the season without a win because then you start to feel bad. And we, we're not too far away from what Flint went through last year. Um, I don't think they're going to be that bad, but it, I mentioned it then. It takes some of the fun away from the game for the kids, and that's the worst part. You want people in this league to develop and have fun, and it's tough to develop and have fun when you're just not winning any hockey games early. All right, the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds and Kyle Raftis get into the trade pool again, and it's a pretty nice pickup. You and I both like this move for Kyle Raftis and the Greyhounds up north. Billy Constantinou, who was part of the Jason Robertson trade last year, the Niagara Ice Dogs deem Constantinou expendable. He goes to Kingston in that Robertson deal. He's now moved from Kingston. And, you know, given their struggles this year, I'm sure he's not too disappointed. Yeah. Up to the Sioux Greyhounds. In exchange, the Kingston Frontenacs get a pair of fourth rounders and a third rounder for the 18-year-old Constantinou. A pair of thirds and a fourth a pair of fourths and a third oh, pair of, so, I did it in descending numerical order so I ask you this we talked about the Roth trade last week yes would you rather have Ryan Roth for the second fourth and fifth I believe or this trade for Constantino Whew. that is that is an excellent excellent question well, let and me, let I me will, give you the answer it's this one I was going to say this one <laughs> it's I this would, one yeah um, and you didn't have to give up a second it's a nice move again for Kyle Raftis give him two in two weeks uh, Constantino, real smooth skating defenseman, moves the puck well. I think he'll help out that back end a great deal in Sault Ste. Marie that likes to play the puck possession game, likes to get out of their own zone real fast and get on the on the forecheck. Um, and the Sioux have always done really well with players and utilize their strengths to what they are and let those players be those type of players. We saw Boris Kachuk there not long ago. He, he, his defensive game lacked a bit. 
Um, but they allowed him to play in his strengths, get the puck on his stick in the neutral zone and watch him go. And they let him do that. And now I think that uh, Constantino, Constantino in that lineup is only going to accentuate other players' strengths in the offensive zone. Kyle Raftis chooses his words carefully in discussing this trade with Peter Rucci up at the Sioux Star, uh, saying he's not disappointed in the defense, but it is a bunch of young guys. And and Constantino's the kind of guy that plays the style that the Sioux Greyhounds want to see that can then become that leader. Again, as an 18-year-old, he's going to be a stabilizing presence on a pretty young blue line up there in the Sioux. And don't forget, it was a 4-0 start for the Hounds. They've now lost four of their past five games. Yeah, I think he's he's like the Rasmus Sandin that they had a couple of years ago, a guy that can move the puck, jump up in the rush when he can, provide that speed, and give a different look to that defense because the majority of their defense, I find, are stay at home. You put Constantino with a guy like Ryan O'Rourke in his draft year, a guy like Ryan O'Rourke who is a stay-at-home bruising defenseman, pair him with a Constantino who can move the puck, skate well. I think it's a really nice ad for the Greyhounds. All right, let's stay in the Western Conference and... I think there are two sides to really talk about with this next deal. Uh, which side do you want to talk about first? The uh, acquiring team or the, the team doing the trading? The t- the team doing the trading. Team doing the trading. Okay. So the Guelph Storm have traded Owen Lalonde. Destination, Flint. This just in, hockey fans. These are not your 2018-19 Flint Firebirds. More on that in a moment. But with the Owen Lalonde trade, the Guelph Storm acquire two second rounders, and then a conditional second and a conditional fifth for Owen Lalonde, plus Michael Bianconi. The conditional picks are whether or not Lalonde plays his OA season. We'll see. But they get two seconds back for sure on that. That's in addition to the third and the fifth rounder they got for Anthony Popovich, also traded to Flint. And the two second rounders and a third rounder they got for Liam Howell traded to the Kitchener Rangers. So in the bank right now, three seconds, two thirds, and a fifth and another second and fifth out there if Lalonde plays an OA season. This Guelph Storm team, just like Niagara did last year, went for it, won the OHL championship, but dispensed of 20, 21, I think it was 20 finally, draft picks, and they have begun the process of reacquiring those picks by making what I would call some pretty shrewd moves. I love the moves for the Guelph Storm. They had an opportunity, if you were to really look at it, that they had quite a few players coming back, maybe a few more players than they expected um, and those assets to move. We talk about the Lalonde. They still have Cam Hillis. They still have a guy like Pavel Gogolev if they wanted to move. Um, Daniel Cheka, a lot of teams called asking about him. They have these assets that they can move. Fedor Gordiev. I don't think they're going to move. Che- Cheka's supposed to stay there and be a part of something, right? I don't know. It a depends couple on, more years? Yeah, well, it depends on how when that part of something happens. Yeah. They're doing it different than they did just a handful of years ago where they... They got Euchred, where they could have moved the guys like Tyler Bertuzzi. They could have moved Robbie Fabry, but they decided to reload and make another run and fell short. Um, and then they were in for some tough years. Mind you, they turned it around pretty quick into an OHL champion. But I like these moves, moving the pieces you have, the assets you have for draft picks. Start rebuilding again, and then you could build around a guy like Cheka if he's meant to be there for the long run. I just think there's guys you can move if you're going to give up Cheka for a couple of years. You get a ton of picks for them. It's I don't think they will, but even like Cam Hillis, Fedor Gordiev, these are serviceable people that teams want trying to make a run. The West is wide open. The East is wide open with all due respect to, obviously, the start Oshawa has. Ottawa, the, the big team in the East in my mind. Um, but there's some teams out there that still need pieces, and there's not really that super team that we're looking at that has the you know six top forwards 
um, that it normally takes to win an OHL championship as of late. You talk about the quick turnaround for the Guelph Storm between championships and indisputable, obviously, five years between OHL championships. And of course, the first of those led to the final of the Memorial Cup where they lost taking the lead into the third period with Robbie Fabry and company and, and falling 6-4 to the Edmonton Oil Kings in that uh, 2014 championship in London. I still can't help, though, as nice as the OHL championships are, don't you want the Memorial Cup in there? But I, I get it. Yeah, and you do. Of course. Of course. Right? So, yeah. But still, two OHL championships in five years. Hey, share the wealth a little bit. That's a, that's a hell of a run over it, five years. It is. It's a great run, and they're doing it right. This isn't George Burnett's first kick at the can. Uh, I think he has a good idea of what he's doing and how he's doing it, and he's getting those picks back while keeping a serviceable team on the ice. Well, that's the big difference because yeah. they went they went rock bottom for big a time. couple of years before loading up again last year. Yeah, they still have some young pieces, a lot of 2000s, um, a lot of 01s on that team that are now getting a bigger role um, and a chance to get more ice time and prove that they belong in a top six role. All right. So the team on the other end of this latest trade with the Guelph Storm, are the Flint Firebirds. Now, I think this is the second time already on this podcast I have to eat a little bit of crow because when Ty Delandria Oh, might as well make returned, two plates. Yeah. We're, <laughs> don't worry. I, know, I, know exa- I do this so often, I know how to cook it yeah, perfectly. Perfect. We were sitting in our hotel room in North Bay recording one of our earlier podcasts this season when Delandria was returned. And the only question we had and the discussion debate we had was when you trade Delandria. Do you trade them right now? right away or do you wait until the deadline which was my advice to get maximum value you wanted to trade delandria right away clearly ty delandria is not going anywhere anthony popovich already there owen lalonde added etc etc these flint firebirds and i cannot stress enough how much i love this story because this was the whipping boy of the ontario hockey league with all of the ownership challenges with players saying hey we're not going to play. I mean, it's just everything that went on there, the ownership, the owner being banned from being around the team, all of these ridiculous things, the water crisis in the actual city. There, everything was going wrong for the Flint Firebirds after they moved over from Plymouth. And now all of a sudden, they're legit. It's a 5-2 and two start. And something that really excites me is what you talked about on one of your first visits to the Dort Federal Event Center where they play their games. You looked around that building and said, Farsi, you imagine this place packed like it's a great junior hockey rink. So they got a team. They're obviously not trading away assets, and who knows? I'll I'll take a playoff series against them anytime. It'll be fun. Oh, that's uh, they're building the quite the team down there. They are. I don't mind it. I I honestly thought that trading Ty Delander was the best move to get some of their younger players, um, some more ice time and a uh, a more prime role to develop. But a playoff run into the second or maybe even third round is really good for your development, and it gives you a taste of what could be. Um, picking up Owen Lalonde to help that back end and somebody who's won an OHL championship in Guelph to go along with Anthony Popovich on the back end is pretty good. You look at their top four defensemen, Kolia Chonik, Lalonde, Riley McCourt, Dennis Busby. It's not bad. Not bad at all. I'll take that. You know, isn't it kind of funny, though? You talk about that defense and stabilizing the defense with Lalonde. They had Fedor Gordiev, remember, but they gave him to Guelph or traded him to Guelph for Guelph's run last year. Now they go back to Guelph to get Lalonde to come in and kind of put things back into place in Flint. It's interesting. Four 2000s on their back end and four up front. It is a 19-year-old league. 
That's quite a few 19-year-olds down there in Flint. And their, their forwards aren't bad either. Connor Roberts, Jake Durham, Evan Veerling, Ty Delandria. Uh, the second overall pick, Brennan Othman, Ethan Keppen. Yeah. There's, there's some pieces there for this Flint Firebirds team. And we talked about it before. Eric Wellwood does a pretty good job behind the bench turning that team around. Um, he's coached under some big dogs. He's played under some big dogs. Two-time Memorial Cup champion. Yeah, knows what it takes to get there. And a young guy that can relate to those players, I find. Um, I think they could surprise a few people for sure. I, I don't know if they're trading Delander anymore. We, uh, they're not. Don't, you don't, don't say you don't know if they are. They're not. Well, now I'm more, if, if you're, if you're going to, then you wait, now you wait till the deadline. Stop Get it. Get in Why? a good spot, then flip them. But no, I'm just saying. You would not do that. They're clearly investing. It, championship, let's not get carried away. But if you can get into the playoffs, generate some buzz, maybe get yeah. into that second round for sure. I, I th- also think that maybe it's just me, but I believe that uh, not trading Delandria has as much to do with helping the youngsters as it does helping the fans. There's a lot of love for Ty Delandria down there. That is, a, if you're going to make a move, that would be the toughest one to move. Teams trade their first rounders a lot. Teams trade first first overall picks it happens um lawn being a second overall pick he's on his third team ryan merkley on his third team is the first overall pick there's a lot of players that are expendable if you will and and teams you know look past those heartstrings and trade them that would be a pretty tough move to make heck we saw warren reichel trade his own kid for pete's sake yes we did but that's warren reichel and that's warren reichel <laughs> there's that's a tough trade to make if you were going to trade him so i think when you get him back you're like okay let's give him Let's give Ty a run in the playoffs for what he's done for us. Well, and they can do that, though, without euchring themselves, right? They, it's not as though holding on to him, like you talked about earlier, when the storm probably hung on to yeah. the Fabries and the Bertuzzi's a little too long. Look, the, the Flint Firebirds will be fine next year as well. It's not like the team falls off the face of the earth. So, yeah, get that little run in yeah, and off you go. I know. I'm just saying that if no, there's you no were... If, what? I see both sides. How many plates of crow do you want to eat this well, season? Well, I'm not saying they're going to. I'm just saying that there is a possibility. They have lots of draft picks. They have a young team. But draft picks are always a good thing to have. There's a lot of 19-year-olds on that team. Guess what happens next year? You get three of them. Yeah, and then you can move them away and, you know, yeah, restock. I know, all right, what are you going to get more for? Yeah, don't start that. Don't well, I'm start just it. saying. Okay. It, it makes complete sense to me to keep him. If if you're going to add a guy like Owen Lawn, Anthony Popovich, I think they're still one or two moves away for sure. Don't get me wrong. But I also would see it if they did trade them and they, they said, you know what, this isn't our year. We understand that team B went out and made this trade and this trade. And they're obviously, we believe they're better than us and we don't think we can beat them. So we traded them tied to Landria for three picks and their first rounder last year to help us next year. I still think that uh, they're keeping them. There's, well, no, there's I, no question there. I, no, for sure. If I was a betting man, sure. I would bet that you they can, would keep them, but I would understand. And and I, I think that there is that plate that they're looking at. Like, well, if we did move them, this is what we could get. This is like your Owen Sound. Don't sleep on Owen Sound. You're just going to say it often enough until you start believing it yourself. You you create the argument for making the move. It's just that the move will not be made. Yeah. Exactly. Tied to Landry will stay. I'm just making an argument that there is a case for it. We talked earlier about how well coached this team is. And last year when we were in Flint, we caught up with general manager Barkley Branch. Remember how much he said he loves our work? Yeah. Okay. I, Mr. I, Brett, I still don't think he, he knew who we were. He has no idea. But he said he did. So, Branchy, 
Serve notice right now. We're coming for Welly this time. When we get there in Flint, we're talking, Eric Wellwood, what's going on? What yeah, how do you doing? turn this around? How did you turn this around? Like Maybe that? we'll ask Ty, do you want to be moved? Yeah, let's do that too. <laughs> we will become public enemies number one and two in Flint. We can just add it to the number of rinks where we are public enemies already. Regardless of Ty DeLandria, the future is bright in Flint for sure. Yeah. And I really want to see them go on a deep run. Um, and I want to be there to be to see it. Yeah, I think it's just I think it's great for the league right now. I'm really happy for uh, the community, the franchise for sure. A lot of great people doing some really hard work down there. I just love it. If any, if you, this is your first time listening and you don't know much about Flint, you pull into the back of this arena, this event center, and you go in this back door and it pops you out right at the Zamboni entrance, and you can see the the inside of the rink. But then you have to walk around to get to this dressing room, and it's it's in the bowels of the arena, and it just looks. In a in a in a kind way, it it looks old, it looks rugged, it looks dirty, and it's loud in there when there are fans, and I especially with their anthem singers setting that tone, get the blood flowing because they always have amazing anthem singers. I think that is if that place is packed, you're down there in the dressing room, you can hear the fans up in the stands stomping, waiting for the team to come out, getting ramped up. I think that would be a terrible place to play on the road if it's jammed. Can we please get them to bring back? The hot tub. There used to be, just behind the home goal, a hot tub, a seat or seats. You could, you and your friends could go and watch the game in the hot tub. So you want to bring back the hot tub time machine? Bring back the hot tub at the door. Yeah, I don't think so. Okay. No. They had a gun show there once. <laughs> yes, they did. Wouldn't that be awkward? You're rolling there for a playoff game and they got a gun show. Oh, boy. God bless America. It was cool, though. All right, uh, we should get to the, really, the guest of honor, the only reason that anybody is still listening to this podcast at this point. Yes, and we ran down his credentials before, but again, Memorial Cup champion with the Kitchener Rangers, Con Smythe Award winner, and Stanley Cup winner with the Calgary Flames. Oh. What? I'm just, yeah, you, you named the team this time. Oh, yeah, I did. He's a two-time Stanley yeah, Cup Stanley winner, Cup his winner, second winner again is, right, his, with the St. Louis Blues. Okay, now you just could break it all down. Here we Gold go. medal winner at the Olympics with Team Canada and one of the top 100 players to ever play the game, Al McInnes. Thank you so much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. It's always nice coming back, and it's always nice to uh, watch some junior hockey in this uh, historic building. What's it like walking back in here? Brings back some of my fondest uh, hockey memories. Uh, you know, uh, we were very lucky to uh, have such a, a great run here back in the early 80s. Uh, we had uh, some great players and uh, some great coaches. And, you know, to come in in junior hockey my first year, we ended up losing in the Memorial Cup final to Cornwall and uh, followed that up with the next year uh, with winning the Memorial Cup against Sherbrooke. Uh, you know, uh, you couldn't ask for anything better. And uh, great exposure, great teams, and uh, made a lot of friendships along the way. I can't say off the top of my head, Al, but I know Doug Gilmore did play with Cornwall. Was he on that team that you lost to? And then you ended up as a teammate with him in Calgary, Stanley Cup champions. Yes, uh, you're exactly right. Uh, Cornwall had a, an excellent team that year. Uh, they actually en- ended up winning. They went on a run. They, uh, they won three Memorial Cups uh, in that run, and uh, they had an excellent team, and Dougie and I became teammates uh, back in the, the late 80s, and, um, you know, obviously everybody in Ontario, you know, got to see him play <laughs> for the Leafs, but uh, what a great teammate, great leader, and uh, 
one of the finest two-way players to ever play the position of center. What did it mean to you to see your son follow in your footsteps here with the Rangers? Well, uh, I know one thing. Uh, there was nobody more nervous in the building uh, anytime <laughs> I came in here uh, watching him play. But, uh, you know, I knew the experience that I had here with the with the, the organization and the, the city of Kitchener and the fans. And uh, and I know he was going to go through the same thing coming here. Uh, it was, a you know, a dream of his to play for the Rangers uh, for, a, for a long time. And uh, he was able to do that. And uh, he enjoyed uh, his three years here uh, immensely. Even before you got here, Al, your, your journey, I mean, you're a Nova Scotia boy. There was a cup of coffee in Saskatchewan before you ended up here in the Ontario League, and you're 17 years old. That's a lot of travel and a long way from home for a young man. It was. Uh, you know, if I can get it into a quick story, uh, my midget team uh, in Nova Scotia represented um, uh, Nova Scotia in the Air Canada Cup in Winnipeg, Manitoba. I got scouted by the Regina Pats that year. And uh, so I went out and played a year of Tier 2 with the Regina Pat Blues. And uh, Mike Penny, uh, the Rangers man, uh, general manager at the time, you know, the cagey guy knew that there were some uh, maritime players out there. I w he came out and he scouted myself in Regina, and he scouted Mike Eagles in Melville. And Mike oh, wow. Eagles was playing out there the same year. So he kind of had, I think, a couple of uh, aces in his back pocket. Not to, <laughs> but uh, he ended up drafting us. Uh, obviously, it just made sense to get back to the Ontario League, closer to home, and uh, from there, the, the rest is history. You mentioned Port Hood. You had the Stanley Cup there. What was that like this year? It was amazing. Uh, you know, to be able to bring the Stanley Cup to my hometown, it's only, you know, seven, 800 people. Uh, I had it down there. We have a festival every year called Chestico Days. Uh, we had it in the parade down there. We had over 5,000 people to join us that weekend. Uh, I brought it to uh, the Cabot Cliffs uh, golf course down there. Uh, brought it to a couple of pubs, obviously. some uh, We got some uh, Celtic entertainment around the Stanley Cup and uh, and got to spend some time with it with the family and, and some friends. And, you know, to be able to, uh, you know, share the uh, Stanley Cup with some, uh, you know, diehard, you know, hockey fans from that part of the country, it was uh you know, I won it 30 years ago. I didn't get a chance to bring it down there back in 89, and I knew if I ever had a chance to uh, win it again as uh, an executive or, or, or a part of a team, I was going to bring it back to Port Hood, and it was a special week. We had a chance to chat ever so briefly before the game, out about the magical run it really was for the St. Louis Blues last season, down and out, last place to Stanley Cup champions. Was there a point along the way that as an executive team you, you felt something, you saw something, or how do you describe that? Well, you know, it's pretty hard to describe exactly what happened. Uh, we started to turn the corner. Uh, it was a Western Canadian uh, road swing to Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver. We felt our team was really coming together. And from there, it uh, really took off, and uh, everything just seemed to fall into place. Uh, Jordan Bennington got the net one night in early January in Philadelphia, and he had a shutout, his first start, and uh, didn't give up the net after that. Uh, you know, Craig Bruby came in, uh, uh, you know, uh, we had to make a coaching change and came in and uh, got everybody's attention, uh, got everybody to jump on board. And, uh, you know, everybody, everything fell into place, and the guys started to play for one another, and uh, they got on a roll, and next thing you know, it was uh, the Stanley Cup champs. Just like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was a great photo that St. Louis tweeted of you hoisting the cup. Between the times that you did did it in Calgary and in St. Louis, what was it like picking that up the second time? Well, first of all, uh, 30 years later, it's much heavier. Yeah, I will say heavier. that with a couple of bad shoulders. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when you win it as a player, 
you know, you're so wrapped up in the, in the in the players that you're playing with and the coaching staff. It's kind of a little bit of a smaller group, I should yeah. say. Uh, being in St. Louis for 25 years and basically calling it home, my children uh, have been raised in the city. I got to know, obviously, a, a, a lot of people there. I understand the... the, the, the the loyalty that fans have over the past 52 years. And when we won it in Boston, all I could think of is what it meant to the city, what it meant to the fans, and they've waited so long uh, for, for the Blues to hoist that cup. And uh, it was a magical moment. And if you've seen any of the, the video or pictures of the, the Stanley Cup parade in St. Louis, I think our players took it above and beyond what most parades uh, yeah. do and the interaction uh, and the relationship with the head. And I think they set a new standard for that. Ryan O'Reilly was walking the parade route, signing stuff, interacting with the fans. I was like, he's just from down the road in uh, Clinton. It was great to see. It was unreal, and it was funny because a lot of the alumni and the management, we got to the uh, down to the arch uh, uh, after our part of the parade was over, and, you know, an hour goes by, none of the players are showing up, and then it was two hours, and we're wondering, <laughs> did they get lost? Did they take a different route or what? But. Uh, you know, when you go back and you watch the video on how the players engage with the fans, like you mentioned, Ryan O'Reilly is signing autographs. Somebody else is holding up babies. Yeah. Jordan <laughs> Bennington's riding a scooter yeah. down Market Street. You know, like you can't, you you you, you never thought of these things. Yeah. And and like I said, you know, most parades in any sport, you stay on the float, you wave and whatever. And our players, uh, just like I said, brought it to a whole nother level. We'll never have enough time with you, Al, but I want to go back, if we can, to the era when you played in the National Hockey League with the Calgary Flames and the Battle of Alberta, I think, was essentially born. And, I mean, I could spend the rest of this time listing off all of the players. You were part of that. When you look back, like, what does that mean to you? Well, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was um, you know, an amazing experience, uh, you know, because um, really you know Edmonton made as a better team you know like they were the benchmark they had the maybe the five six best players in the league at the time with Mark Messier, Glenn Anders and Paul Coffey, Grand Fear, obviously Wayne Gretzky and we had no choice at the time but to get better and uh, we were one of the first teams that touched on you know college free agents with Colin Patters and Jamie McCowan, Joel Otto, yeah. all these guys and we you know we became a, a, a close-knit group we became a better team every year and uh, there was a lot of hatred. Uh, it was some of the, the greatest hockey you can watch. And even going back, watching them, you know, those old playoff games and those old rivalries, it was, it was intense. Uh, it was physical. Uh, you had, you know, Mike Vernon and Grant Fuhrer battling it out, two of the top goaltenders back then. And, uh, you know, looking back, it was a lot of fun. But uh, it, was, it, was, it was tough. It was uh, one of the, you know, greatest rivalries that uh, hockey has seen. Al, we talked a bit about the accolades off the top. Hall of Famer, one of the uh, top 100 players to ever play the game, the Cups, the Memorial Cup. What is the one moment in your hockey career that stands out to you? What is there a, a recognition that stands out, or what is well, it? Well, it would have to be the Stanley Cup in 89, you know, as a player. Um, you know, we dream of this stuff growing up, playing street hockey and scoring the game-winning goal in Game 7 to, to, to hoist the Stanley Cup, and... You know, uh, being the hockey fan I am, and and I can't get enough of it. I'm in here watching junior <laughs> hockey on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, you see it, you know, the Stanley Cup being hoisted every year, and it's the it, it's the hardest trophy to win. And uh, I'll never forget the feeling that came over me in Montreal when Doug Gilmore scored in the empty net yeah. to clinch that Stanley Cup victory. Uh, it was a it was a relief. It was exhausting. 
but uh, that was certainly the, uh, the 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 greatest moment of my hockey career. Real quick, real quick. Uh, you had a hundred mile an hour slap shot with the old wooden stick. What would you? You broke Mike Leute's mask with a shot. <laughs> what could you? You do 120 with these sticks today? Well, you know, uh, it, it it might be up there, you know, a little bit faster or a little bit uh, more velocity than what I used to shoot it with. But I will say one thing: the players that are playing today, they're so much bigger, yeah. they're so much stronger. And you look at the guys that get, you know, Chera, like he's got probably six inches and 40 pounds on me, you know, but. Um, you know, the, the, they all can shoot it today. Uh, those sticks obviously improve the shot. Just ask the goaltenders. But, uh, you know, back in my day, I just, I, the, the composite sticks just started coming out. But I just, you know, felt the puck better on my, my wooden stick. And uh, it was just uh, hard to, you know, teach an old dog new tricks. And <laughs> I kept it. It worked for me, and I didn't want to change. It certainly did work. Al McInnes, thank you so much for taking the time. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me on. I think that's the first time we've had a Hall of Famer on the podcast. I can't think of another off the top of my head. It's probably the first time. We also should point out his banner hangs on East Avenue inside the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium. And so I don't know if it's fair to do this or not, or maybe it will just make me sound lame, so whatever. But Al McKinnis, we saw him come into the media room at the Rangers game recently, and... Like in all honesty, he, he, well, let's tell the story of of he, how we have how you told me that he was in the media room. You came you came walking <laughs> over to me, and I plan our intermissions for the game. Um, and you came over to me and go, "Hey, do you have uh, your two intermissions planned?" I go, "Yeah, why?" And you're like, "Cause that's Al McInnes. I'm pretty sure we can bump someone." <laughs> and we did bump someone. <laughs> I'm that pretty day. sure we can bump someone. But and and maybe it's just me. Never judge a book by its cover. But there I was doing that. Al looks like a pretty serious guy. I'll just put it that way. He looks serious. He's, he does. He's at the rink with a purpose. He walks with a purpose. He just looks like a serious guy. Yeah. So it was it was a little bit on the intimidating side to make the approach, kind of cold call him and ask, because he's also there to do the job. Anyway, that's whatever. Say what you want about me or judging the book by its cover. The man could not have been more gracious. Unbelievable. From, from the moment I said, hi, checked in on Ryan, his son, who used to play in Kitchener, and invited him to join us on an intermission. He could not have been more gracious, and then you hear the stories that he'll tell, and we could have... The intermission wasn't long enough. It wasn't. No. No, we went late, and we didn't care. <laughs> no, of course not. But <laughs> I think we both said to each other, we're going to miss some of the next period, but it's Al McKinnis. It's He was... Just incredibly gracious. Yeah, so it was awesome. I so wanted to put that, point that out there. Like thank it, you to Al, and if anyone knows Al, because I'm sure he doesn't listen to the podcast, um, <laughs> please <laughs> send him our gratitude. Yeah. I want to bring something to you. I just mentioned it. Obviously, his number hangs from um, the, the rafters. Number two. At the odd. What's your belief on those numbers are up there, but players can wear them? Yeah. <sighs> And I, you know what? Larry Robinson was up there, and we had Brendan Robinson on the team, and he wore the same number. He did. Which, well, which is kind of cool. Kind of neat, isn't it? But what do you think? The Leafs do the same thing. The numbers are up there. They're honored numbers, but players can wear them. And I think that's the way it should be. Really? Well, because here's the thing. Here's the thing. Once you honor one, and this could spin off into a whole conversation with no disrespect intended to the man we just talked to, but let's let's talk about the Hockey Hall of Fame. Yep. It's it's pretty watered down. Al belongs there. Make no mistake. Well, yeah, one of the top one hundred ever do it. But once you once you start down that path, if you retire or honor this number based on this 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 and this, 
then the next one, then the next one. Heck, I was just having the conversation earlier today that Whitney Houston just got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. How does Whitney Houston fall into Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? So I, I just think that honoring the number is the better way to go. Otherwise, you get into a situation where you've quote-unquote retired seven numbers and there aren't enough numbers going around anymore for oh, the players. Okay, well, we have players wearing Ricard Hug wore 96. Jesse Fishman's wearing 62. There's lots of numbers to wear. They're not the most uh, typical hockey numbers, but that's what happens. I want to go full. The Habs, I don't think you can wear a number between 1 and 10. I want to go full Stan Butler on this. Nobody wears higher than 28 as a skater on my team. I would love to implement that rule. Um, My next question on that same topic, and we haven't discussed this, so I'm sorry for (laughs) throwing. I threw you a pretty tough one last week. This one's a little easier. All right. If you were to put another name up in the rafters for the Kitchener Rangers, who would that name be? And we can go recent memory, or we can date back to when little Michael was running around the halls chasing after popcorn. Well, that's the thing, because I think we'd have to go recent, because they've done a pretty good job of getting the best and the brightest up there that this franchise has seen. I I do believe. Mm-hmm. I was always a Jeff Larmer guy when I was a kid. I could argue that if I wanted to, but Brian Bellows is deservedly up there where he belongs. Yeah. Uh, you know, from from Bellows up until the I mean, Jeepers Creepers. Do I say the Jeff Skinner era because and Mike Richards is now a whole different story as right. a one of the one of the best junior hockey players I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. One of the best I've ever seen in my life. But really, you got to remember, after the the late 19... The, they had the magical run the Rangers did in 89-90, that remarkable year against the Oshawa Generals in both the OHL final and then the Memorial Cup because Hamilton, as host, had to back out of the tournament because the team was so bad. So that's how Kitchener and Oshawa end up in there. But other than that, there were a lot of lean years in Kitchener until Pete DeBoer and Steve Spock got there. Then you get into the Derek... Roy times and I like what Kitchener does. If you walk around the concourse on the banners or the banners, the pillars, they have um, the players' names and numbers that were quite good for that hockey team. I like what they do there. I really do. Because you're not putting the number in the banners. You're just honoring good players that you've graduated. But I don't think you answered my question. If you could hang one more name up there. So I have to put a name up there? If you were... Chief Operating Officer Steve Bienkowski, and you thought to yourself, it's time to put another name up there. Who is the name you put up there right now? Can I say not right now, but the next one? Oh, okay. Simply because I, I would go with Gabriel Landeskog. Okay. But yeah. I don't think you put it up while he's still playing, obviously. Yeah. So wait. Not a bad choice. That truly, like I said, there were there were some lean decades in there. Over Larmer, over Roy, over Richards, over yeah. Skinner. Uh, Skinner would be up there, it, but uh, Skinner was only here for two years. I know. So was Gabe. Good point. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and and that changes the dynamic too. Then doesn't it? it no, I don't think it does. Well, because are they are they up there because of what they did as Kitchener Rangers, or are they up there? Because, no, they're up there because of what they did in their hockey career. Because exactly. Paul Coffey's up there. He Paul played Coffey. half a season with the Kitchener Rangers. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Don't don't hate it. All right. I would probably go Richards, though. Would you? Yeah. Even the way it all ended for him. Absolutely. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. Richards or Roy. Interesting. 
I would. But yeah. Landis Cog would be like, he'd be my next one because <laughs> he's see, still playing. And now you're just making my point because you see, once you keep going, yeah, it's I like know. Pandora's box, buddy. Now you got Pandora's box of banners all over the top of the arena. I could see Landis Cog up there for sure. Absolutely. Do yourself. But, but he's all like, we're talking probably a decade down the road now. Oh, yeah. Right? He's still got a long ways to go in his career. Sure does. And those players that are up there, I believe all of them are in the hall, or the majority of them anyway. Majority of them are in the hall. Um, I think so they it's, all are, yeah. It's, it's an elite uh, rafters it if is. you are the Kitchener Rangers. And that's what I was just going to say. Do yourself a favor next time you're in Kitchener, and I'm not trying to make it too Kitchener-centric on you here, but uh, take a look around before the game. Like, honestly, I love stopping, especially when we're in the arena when it's quiet, and just looking up. You can feel the history in that place. It's a beautiful thing, and you see all the banners, and it's pretty special. You do, and that's why I like the pillars, because I find you get more of the history when you walk around and you really breathe in the arena, because in London, one of my least favorite arenas to go to as a broadcaster, but we stare right across at all their banners, and you see all the championships they have, but on the far side, you also see a great deal of names they've graduated to the National Hockey League. And when you're in your seat at the odd, you see the four or five big ones for sure. But then when you walk around the concourse, you see all the other names. Yeah. I just like the banners being up there and being like, put, it's, it's tough for a team to come in and see all those banners. And there are a ton of them in the odd. There are a ton of banners hanging. I like the view from the home goal in behind. So where the goal judge would yeah. be in behind the home net. Take that, if you get a chance before a game, even in a quieter time at the rink, take that view, look up into the rafters, and I think it's a pretty special view. Behind the um, visiting school is not bad either. It's okay. You're staring towards, staring towards East Ave. But the clock gets in the way of all of the other ones yeah. that are much earlier yeah. from the old M's division days and all that stuff down on the other end, right? Come early one day and just do the walk around the boards. There you go. Do it all. It's worth it. All right. Hey, save some room. I'm sure you're planning your meals already this week because we're going to Saginaw, baby. I know. I've been trying to eat healthy, too. Well, yeah. after Oktoberfest, anyway. Schnitzel's healthy. I don't care who you ask. I've had, like, six pieces. It's protein. It, right? It's healthy. Absolutely. Cold potato salad. But, yeah, Saginaw is going to be fun. And a rematch of the opening game of the year, uh, a comeback win by the Kitchener Rangers. But that Saginaw team, many people had circled to take down this Western Conference. So a big challenge for the Rangers and another uh, – future NHLer we get to see in Cole Perfetti. Find out if the Rangers can actually win a game on the road this week, which would be the first time all we'll, season. We'll see. Um, <laughs> I also came in here, I just want to bring it up. There was a video going around of a hit in the QMJHL. Yeah. Um, the player was uh, suspended indefinitely or until further notice. The guy comes flying in on a forecheck, D going back for the puck. D's picking up the puck in the corner. It looks like he's going to go around the net. So the player tries to cut him off, stops skating. So he's, he's gliding in at this point. So it's not a charge. He came from a ways away, but he wasn't, didn't keep skating until he made the hit. So it's not a charge. And he explodes this player. But the defenseman turned at the last second. Looked like he was going around the net, saw the, the hit coming, turns towards the corner, puts his back towards the player. That's why he got blown up. I think there should have been a penalty on the play. And I think he'll probably be suspended for a handful of games. But there was a former NHLer that commented on it, suspended for the year. There is no way that play in my mind should be suspended for the year because 
yes, the player could have let up and more of like a grab and pin, but he thought the player was going to go around the net. If I'm the coach, I'm telling him, get in on the forecheck, pressure the defenseman. The D turned because he saw the hit coming. That is cardinal rule number one. Do not turn your back when the hit is coming. Get close to the boards and go into the boards to brace for the hit. That's what you do. It doesn't hurt that bad. When you turn your back, that's when you get exploded up. I was also more concerned that he didn't have to answer for it. Two players on the opposing team went over and pushed him. And then by the time the line he got there, he dropped his gloves when he was pushed. He thought, I have to answer for that hit. The one player still had his stick in his hands while he was pushing him. Nobody dropped their gloves to go after him. We've talked a lot about fighting in this league and whether it has a place in this league or in the game of hockey. That is one of those occasions where I don't care if that was Cam Jansen that just ran over your defenseman. You drop the gloves immediately and you go over to him. All you have to do is grab him, grab him by the pants, dump him to the ice. At least you stood up for your teammate. These players that just went over and pushed him. Why? What are you doing? You need to stand up. Now it was the Valdor forward. That, that made the hit. Now Valdor knows we're going to bully these guys out of here every game. They're not gonna, there's no answer for it. you got to go over and stick up for your teammate. Drop the gloves. Fighting, that's where fighting needs to happen. The, the staged fighting, I have no problem getting it out of the game. It doesn't really bring much to it, and I've come a, a ways on that. But when your player gets blown up, heck, I was a goalie. I'd have been dropping the gloves going after him. I just think that it was, I'll tweet it and check out the video. Let me know what you think. But I think that the the lack of reaction from that team says a lot, man. At underscore Chris Pope, maybe, maybe they're seeing it or they saw it exactly the way you just described it. And they're looking at their teammate going, oh, way to go, dummy. You turned your back to the hit. Yeah, and I hope the player's okay. I, the video that uh, I'll tweet doesn't show afterwards, but the player was down on the ice, obviously. It was a big hit. And I hope he's okay. But that's just... And players make decisions all the time. It's a fast game. But if you're a young defenseman and you're watching, this is what not to do. And I hope he's okay. But if he keeps going around the net or tries to get under that check or embraces for the check right away, that doesn't happen. Did the forward blow him up? Yes. Could he have grabbed him and pinned him? Probably. But let me tell you what else doesn't happen a whole lot in this game anymore. And I mentioned this to you off the air when you told me about this hit. And I noticed it in the Rangers-Wolves game that we covered on Thanksgiving Monday. And I can't remember even the players involved, to be honest, but it was the exact play you're describing, probably with less speed, but a player's coming in on the forecheck, the D's got the puck along the boards, and as he got in, the forechecker got in, it was kind of like a friendly little, I'm just going to wrap you up over here. And in fact, I remember how much effort there almost seemed to be in peeling off or avoiding... Yeah heavy contact that's the way the game is played today more often than not and I'm not saying I like that necessarily but I am saying that's I saw it so vividly I thought man this game like it just stood out to me that play this game has really really changed it has and I think some players play that way and that's their game. Other players, like if it's Brad Marchand, he's not going to peel off. Of course not. He's going to make that hit. But that's, Brad a, that's, that's one player. Yeah. I know, but he, he's kind of turned around his reputation. Yes, the licking, all that kind of stuff. But he, he can be that rap, but he can also put up the points. There's lots of players in the NHL or in this Ontario Hockey League or the CHL that are going to make that hit. That's how you get. I, have, I know nothing about the player or the player that it happened to. Nothing. 
I'm not pretending I do, but that Valdor player could have been a fourth liner. And he's like, I need to make this hit or a third liner. I need to make this hit. That's what you do. Hitting is part of hockey. You need to embrace it. Yes, the hit might have hurt, but you either got to get moving or embrace for the hit. You don't turn your back. That That's just an accident and an injury waiting to happen. And I feel like you always got to fi- finish your checks. You have to. It's number one rule, especially on the four check. F1, take the body. F2, take the puck. And somebody stand up for his teammate. Oh, I that just... If I'm a leader in that room, I'm going in there and being like, how did nobody drop your gloves? Let let me put it on the record for you right now. At the buffet in Saginaw on Saturday, if Mikey Moose Reeves, our bus driver, tries to get between you and the fried chicken, I got your back. No, I'm hoping it's taco night again. Some good times in Saginaw. I like it. I'm Farwell. And I'm Pope. And that is the Farwell and Pope podcast. That's a wrap on this edition of the Farwell and Pope podcast. Your authority on everything around the OHL. Have a question or topic you'd like covered? Email mike at 570news.com. The Farwell and Pope podcast originates from the 570 News studio in Kitchener. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.